So here's the thing, entrepreneurs, leaders, salespeople, we all want to create consistent, repeatable, and scalable ways to grow our business and our income. And we want to do it better, faster, and more seamlessly. Why? So we can actually enjoy our lives, take vacations, and spend the quality time we want with the people that we love. How do we do all this without spending a fortune or running ourselves ragged? That's the big question, and this show is dedicated to the answer. Hey, so welcome back to the podcast. Super excited to have Mary Lee Blaylock, CEO of Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, California Properties. Um, if you don't know this powerhouse, she is a CEO. She is a rock star amongst rock stars. And to show you like the swag that this woman carries, she was named number 69 in the top 200 most influential people in real estate and number 12 on the women's list. And I don't know how there was anybody more influential than this gal, but Mary Lee, first of all, I'm just super stoked. I know you're crazy busy. So thank you for being on the podcast. It is truly my pleasure. I mean, you know, we've had enough conversations over the years, Tom, where I think we will have enough energy for people to glean from for like a lifetime. Awesome. Thrilled Abs to be here. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's no doubt. And I know like for the person listening right now, like I actually wrote down my goal is really twofold. I want, I want the, I want the young gal listening right now who might be 15 or 35 who is listening to my podcast and she's like, wait a minute, this gal's like a CEO of this like 3000 agent company, a mortgage company title, escrow, all like, like th that sounds really busy. Like how did she get there? I want to talk about that. And then I really want to break down the mechanics of what it means to be a CEO of a large company. And then I'm going to go into some insights on, on from your perspective on, you know, what about that person who's running a 30 person company or a 300 person company or a 1500 person company or a brand new agent and everything under the sun? Cause you have that depth of experience. But I thought we would start first with like, tell them who you are, give them a little background. You know, I mean, I, we know you've been in the business since 1993, but what'd you do before 1993? Right. So I went to college in 19, before 1993, and I decided I was going to be a music teacher, Tom. I was going to, I was a voice major in college, and I wanted to teach music to anything from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. Loved music, theater, the whole dance thing. Uh, so um, it ended up, that's very transferable, by the way, in getting in front of people. Very yes. Stuff. Didn't know it was going to be helpful, but indeed it was. Yes. So I went to college to be a music teacher. I mean, who knew? Couldn't find a teaching job. Happened to be living in an apartment that was foreclosed upon. So in that process of the foreclosure, the bank representative said to me, you should get into real estate because I was the assistant manager of the apartment complex, of course, to help subs subsidize my rent. So exactly. it was it was self-propelled. I decided I was going to help myself financially, get a little business under my belt, couldn't find a teaching job, foreclosed, decided to try real estate, got my license. And so I just decided to, I, I could do this. I can do this. Why can't I do this? Right. So we're talking, okay, 1993, you're living in an apartment. It gets foreclosed on. You're also kind of co-managing the apartment, right? To save a few shekels. I love that. You wanted to be a music, like I... I never knew that about you and I've known you for a long time, but I have seen you dance with the stars and, you know, right? Like the, you know, Maxine Gellins and, you know, the, the unbelievable experience that was. So I'm not shocked. And it's interesting. Yesterday I had uh, Joseph McClendon III, who is partners with Tony Robbins for the last 30 plus years. He was like, I wanted to be a musician, but he took being a musician to now being on stage. So it's interesting, you know, hearing, you know, back to back that same connection. Um, 
So you go into real estate. What was that first year like? Um, tough, of course. Any new agent's first year is tough. And in fact, um, I will tell you this is a true story. She ended up to be a good friend, the receptionist at the office that I went into. Uh, big office, 200 agents in it, okay? Big, huge office. So you feel like a, a little small fish in the, big, in the big ocean. And that receptionist said to me, after I had my first and second sale, which by the way, were in the first, on the first day, same day, not the first day, the same day, six months later. So for six months, I sold nothing. I had no idea if I was going to pay my rent. I was refusing to call my parents and ask them for any more money because I was going to do this, darn it. And, and as a result, I thought I have got to kick it in gear, listen to as many agents as I could, took them out to lunch, did all the things you're supposed to do for successful agents. I did all of that, learned from them. And they, and I had two very influential people. One was a very successful agent named Joan, who said to me, you have got to get in houses to sell houses, start there. Yeah, yeah. The second thing was from this receptionist when she said to me one night, I don't think you're gonna make it. And I thought, huh, you don't know me. That was just enough fuel to make me change my mojo and thought I have got to actually sell a house. So sold my first and second house in the same day and the rest became history. So, so you think about, first of all, that story that so many people can relate to and, and to me, it's, it's just a perfect one of the many chapters of your life that led you to where you are today. Like there, there is no quick way to get there unless you go out and you're just crazy and you start your own business, which, you know, some people have certainly done, but take us through the sort of the journey. So you, you go into sales, how long were you in sales? Did you go into management? Cause I know how you ultimately got here, but just walk us through those, those sort of moments in time of your career. So people get the depth of your experience. Absolutely. So that was in 1993. That was a lot. There were a, a good amount of foreclosures occurring and I ended up becoming a, part of a relationship with the bank. So I ended up having many, many, many listings and dealing with the foreclosure and I did transferable loans. I mean, all the things that we don't hear about anymore. Those were right. the best lessons and education on how to work a way around a purchase agreement. So I knew my contracts. I knew them in and out. And I think that's one thing that can't be overemphasized. You must know your stuff. And if yes. you don't know your stuff, you're just BSing somebody. I'm sorry. And so, and they're going to smell through that. Yeah. So I didn't have a great client base. I had to know my stuff. So I would absolutely encourage that. So I, I sold real estate for four years, ultimately in around year two and a half. I went through a manager candidate program. Mm -hmm. And in that process, when I asked my regional or my office manager at the time who became a regional manager, I said, tell me about that program. And he, I remember him putting his head down on the desk and he looked and I said, is that a bad request? And all he said was, you know, I knew you moved fast, but I didn't know you'd move that fast. Yeah. And, yeah. and I said, why do you say that? He said, I saw your management skills probably before you did, but you needed to come into your own. I mean, Tom, I was 23 when I started. I didn't know yes. anything. I, yes. I, I knew nothing, right? Knew nothing. I knew no one. I had been born and raised in Northern Minnesota and I was in the Twin Cities. I had no client base and I was gonna refuse to tell, ask my parents for help. It was just the way I was. Yeah. So I sold real estate for four years, ended up getting into the manager candidate program, went through that program, took it upon myself to tell my regional manager that I think there's some tweaks to that program that would be helpful for other people. They asked <laughs> me to help rewrite the program. 
And then I ended up beginning to teach business planning within the program. So my management kind of started with, you know, for, for zero pay, by the way. And that's one of the lessons that I want to emphasize for especially the young people coming out of college. I think these colleges, honestly, and I have a son in college, set them up to expect to come out and making six figures and everything's going to be honky-dory right out of the chute. It's not the case. You have to do the hard work and you have to do it because you want to learn from it and you don't, you can't expect a reward for every piece of work you do. And can we be clear? It's more than a summer intern. It's more than a summer intern for six weeks. Yes, exactly. Right. It's more than that. And, it, and it's actually hard work and you can do it. Yeah. Um, but all of that said, so four years in, so then I ended up getting into um, becoming an assistant manager in a different office. Mm-hmm. And what they realized, the company that I didn't realize was that they put me in places that needed a little bit of an infusion of energy. Yeah. Isn't that? Yeah. So what I don't think they knew right out of the shoot that I was working on was knowing my stuff. And that was understanding the PL, understanding my way around a transaction and understanding the impact that transaction can have to the bottom line of an office so that I can manage that office effectively. And so what people don't always recognize about me is that they see me, I think oftentimes as this, you know, I'm fun, I'm fun, I dance, I sing, whatever. I'm, I'm crazy with the best of them but I'm a business person and I know, yes. I know my numbers. And I think there is, that's a different and unique blend that I didn't know I had, but I thank both of my parents for it. My mother was super, super intelligent, valedictorian of her class, but she was a stay-at-home mom. And I say that because like, this wasn't a full-time job. I'm the youngest of nine children, okay? Wow. So, I- Whoa. So there's so many lessons that came built in being the youngest because I had to work, I had to prove myself in everything I did, everything, all of my life. You don't realize that those are lessons that will become beneficial for you. My father owned his own business, raised nine kids, sent us all to college, paid for every cent of it. That is unique. I learned business more from him than I realized. And so that blend kind of enabled me to, to kind of get where I was and understand my path as I became an entrepreneur in real estate myself, as well as taking it to that next level of becoming manager. And then. Hold on though. First, I got to I got to back up though. So here you are, you're like 27, 28, you know, I mean, you're energetic, you're lovely, you're charismatic, but you're 27 and the average agent in the office is 55 and here you are managing them. How did that go over? Well, first of all, keep in mind that being the youngest of nine had more of an impact. My oldest sibling today is 71. I'm very comfortable with people older than me. It was, I didn't see age that way. I saw human beings and I saw a need for improvement or praise for something they've done well. That's all I saw. And so I think whether that was just naivety or not, it worked. And yeah. so I, just, I plowed through. But I don't think, I don't think it was your issue of they're older. It's usually, it's, it's their issue that you're younger. Who's this young little whippersnapper coming in here trying to tell me how to, how did you overcome? Did that happen? And if so, how'd you overcome it? I overcame it by simply knowing my stuff. So I had some credibility, yeah. but I also overcame it by it. It's never been about me, ever. I mean, yeah. ever. It, it never has been. It's about 
us. And that's just my personal mm -hmm. philosophy. And as a result of that us focus, I think they knew right out of the shoot that I wasn't in it just to fake my way through and bet yeah, self yeah. benefit myself. It was to truly try to improve our holistic company and our holistic office and what's our culture and let's have some fun while we do it. Yeah. So makes a big difference. Makes a big, and you can't, and you're right, you can't fake that. So how long, how long were you in a management role? And then what was the next, what was the next move from there? Yeah. So that went pretty quick, two years, two and a half years in management, roughly. And then I uh, was out on maternity leave or we had our, got married 96, somewhere in there. Right. Yeah. And then I had our first child. I was pregnant with her um, when I was an office manager in my first official office management role by myself. Yeah. Okay, so when I'm maternity leave, and then um, you, I'm sure know, and uh, for those that don't know, she was a, a very complicated birth and ended up to be a very, very severely handicapped child who has since then passed away. Yes. And so uh, just three years ago, so we're very, very, we always miss our Emma, but she taught me a lot of life lessons as well. Um, humility being one of them for sure. But in that process, when I was on maternity leave, I got a call from the company and said, would you like to become the VP of relocation? And I was like, what? My story was I had a C-section. I must have been on painkillers because I said, sure, I'll try that. Yeah. And I had no idea about it. And I remember questioning, saying, wait a minute. I don't know all there is to know about that. And I am also wondering, why do you want me to do it? And the yeah. response I got was interesting in that they said, well, you were the one that you ask all the questions about why should I give this deal to a relocation experience when agent when I know I can make more money on the agent that has a lower split and I know I can do all these things. And so they said, you just asked enough questions that we realized you might actually be good for it. And relocation is a world of personality. Yes, it is. Yes. So, so when you, when you took over that role, was there an existing team? Was there a bunch of people that, that, and this is an important thing for people that are listening right now, when you want to move from, you know, one level to the next and you, you essentially adopt a team of people that are now your group. What did you do in the very beginning with that? Cause again, you're still very young. You got all this energy. They see you kind of moving up inside the organization. Sometimes people start to say, Oh, she's that gal that's here for a couple of years. And then she moves on to the next one. So, you know, just don't, don't, don't ruffle her feathers and she'll be gone soon enough. What happened? So what happened was I, I, I dug in. First of all, I had to come off of maternity leave and go back and, t and be in the office I was at so that we could transition that out. It was an interesting time because they'd finally just really latched on and I latched onto them and then I was gonna move again. So I, I always have to take, I have to take care of where I've been before I can move to where I'm going. Yes. Uh, always, it's just important. Never burn a bridge, always keep those relationships. So when I went to the relocation department, this is a large company. So it's a diner realty in Minneapolis. And they have, at that time, there was probably 6,000 transactions that ran through that department on an annual basis. I had a team of 18 people. Yeah. And I knew nothing. Yes. But yes. I had a great teacher who, and I was a good, I studied. I mean, I did my homework. And so I, my first thing was to just simply learn what everybody does and mm -hmm. be willing to do it myself. Yep. And so those are always the two things that I have to do. Learn what they do, how they do it, ask if there's any improvement that they see, because it really doesn't matter, I don't know. Yes. And then, and then over time, morph it into hopefully greater success. So 
my first piece of advice that somebody gave me that sticks with me to this day was the first thing you do is nothing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But Mary, but Mary Lee, you know that because you're battle tested. The, the 42 year old that's thinking about starting her company right now or starting his company that we oftentimes assume that we come into a new role that we're expected to come in with, here's my hundred day plan. And this is what we're going to do. And we're going to take over this and we're going to grow like it. But, but it's, it's a recipe for disaster in almost every case. It is people first business second. Yeah. Uh, people first business second. And what that means is that, that you have to, um, gently approach it and read the room. Yes. There's that's more important than anything else. And you can't move faster than they're willing to follow. And you have to, so, so for me, that meant after I learned mm -hmm. what they did, I also asked them, is there anything that, that you do that's dumb? And, they, and there was a lot of that. And I yeah. said, well, how about we just start by, let's just not do that anymore. Don't do the dumb stuff. Yeah. And yeah, then they were like, yay, I like this change. We're getting rid of the dumb stuff. So I've learned over the years that take care of the people, talk to them about what changes they want. Yeah. And, and truly, it ends up to be the changes you'd probably make anyway. Right. Right. Because they know, they see the redundancies, they see the mistakes, they see that why, why do we, why are we always, well, we just always done it like this, but it doesn't work. Yeah, we should probably change that. Right. So it was, I, I mean, it's, it feels very innate to me, but if I were telling somebody that they were going to start their business this way and, and right now today, I would say, know who you have, understand who they are yep. and are they the right people on the right train? So you can move, don't move first. Yeah. Very good advice. So how long in relocation before you made the, the next move, which seems to be the story of your career here? It does, you know, and I never intended it to be, but it just happened that way. So yeah. um, I was officially the head of that department for six years in the sixth year. So now we're in 2004. Yeah. Okay. Backing up just a little bit, mm -hmm. the original CEO of Edina Realty when I was under him was Ron Peltier. Yes who many know who was number one, most influential person in real estate multiple times, right? So a legend. So I have been uh, gifted with his mentorship, uh, truly over the years. And I say that with such respect for him, but I also say it for the respect for Gino Buffari, who's taken that role. And it's yeah. just, it's, I love the different approaches. I love yes. the different mentorships and I love to be able to learn and grow within. So. I was in the department for six years, ran that department. And in that sixth year, Home Services of America had already been born, yeah. right? And so I, Ron, being Ron, said, Mary Lee, you got to go get, you know, 3M was in Minnesota, General Mills in Minnesota, Pillsbury at the time in Minnesota. All these large corporations are in the state of Minnesota. And he said, go get all the relocation, corporate relocation business. So I tried but I was Edina Realty and there's nothing wrong with being a local company, but perception wins yes. and perception was only local. And so I went back to Ron and I said, all right, here's the deal. I am willing, if you are willing to have a national and potentially international relocation company uh, that I think based upon the heels of Home Services of America could be called Home Services Relocation. And I would love to start that company with, you know, your money <laughs> would be great and, and willing to do the work. It's not going to be make money in the first year. Yeah. You need to know that, but it will make money in the second year. And I have a path. And then I went through my whole plan 
and laid it out for a two-year plan. And he was gracious enough to say, go. I started with two employees. So I was, I was in a, you know, a, a department doing 6,000 transactions. Everything was humming along. Yes. And here, here I completely left a very solid environment. Very safe, making good money. And very did something crazy. Very comfortable. I did something completely crazy. And I was told that it was kind of crazy by a few people. Um, but uh, the other people that were telling me it was going to be okay were, in my opinion, at that time, heavier, more influential to me. Yes. So I listened intently and made a informed decision, jumped ship. And I, in 2004, for that one year, I was a crazy person where I ran the relocation department at Edina and I started home services relocation. Crazy, crazy, yeah. crazy. Then through different acquisitions and different growth, I was the chief bottle washer, coffee maker, salesperson, um, you know, PowerPoint presenter, uh, all of it. The RFPs came in, I filled them out myself. Yeah. It, was, it was all kind of one person along with a, another right-hand guy who is fabulous, still there to, the, to this day. And we just made it work and we were hungry and I was hungry. And we went from initially about 200 moves to 300 moves and my clientele were corporations. So keep in mind, I've learned real estate transactions. I went through foreclosure, learned how banks work. I had the training and I got to teach business planning. So I, it forces you to know it yourself, creating a business plan, knowing how to execute on it. Then I get into selling corporations. Now I have all of this real estate knowledge and all of the title lending knowledge that comes along with all of those deals. And I get to talk to corporations and then get grilled on the taxation of relocatees by the CFO of these companies. Right. And that was interesting, but I love- You probably learned a lot in that experience. Unbelievably so. And I learned a lot about how corporate America affects real real estate and how real estate affects corporate America, how they blend, how they mirror, how they don't. When the real estate market is fast, corporations don't have to offer as many buyouts to transferees. It's very intertwined, uh, much more than I realized. And I loved that education. So then I was there from 2004 to 2014 until I came here. And I became the president of home services relocation, ended up with uh, about, I would say, 50, 55 clients, corporate clients. We did about 1,300 moves annually, and including setting up the national lending arm, along with, at that time, home services lending, now Prosperity Home Mortgage for that organization, got all those licensed loan officers in 36 of the 50 states. I just did more than I ever imagined I would even consider doing because it just needed to get done. So I just did it. So someone's going to be listening to this and I know, um, I know cause it's going through my head cause I'm thinking to myself, first of all, thank goodness you didn't become a school teacher. <laughs> right. And then also thank goodness you were the number nine child of nine. Right. So, so, you know, you have to be scrappy. Right. It's not it's not like you're there's two kids and you're the baby. Right. When you're number nine, they're like, who's that one again? Right. Like you got to be scrappy and right. Yes. Um, But I want to go back. I mean, because you talked about Emma 
and I was really grateful you did because I, you know, I, I wanted to bring it up, but I, I didn't say it to you before we got started. And so, so I'm grateful you did because anyone in their right mind is going to say, wait a minute, like this woman was doing all of that and she had a, a, a disabled child at home, right? And you have, and you have another child, right? So like, how did, how did you manage your life while you were out building all of this? How did you balance the two? Like, did it work? Did it not work? Like, give us some insight there. Oh my gosh, it was nuts. My husband, brilliant engineer, worked full time. I'm doing this, working full time. In 1999, we had Emma. Mm -hmm. In 2001, we had our first son. In 2005, we had our second son. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, like, why not? Why not? Why? Yeah. And in the middle of it, you started a new company. <laughs> right. All of that. I mean, I, I was like, maybe I was just sleep deprived enough to believe I could do it. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's some truth to that. True story in all of that. I went to the um, optometrist because all of a sudden I was, you know, not, I was feeling like I needed cheater glasses. Can you believe that? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I go there and, and, and I have had Emma and then I have this newborn Connor mm -hmm. and she says, well, have you been getting enough sleep? No. Have you, have you been under any extra stress? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I finally just looked at this poor woman and I said, listen, I am such a weird, unique case. I don't want to tell you my life history. I just need glasses. Okay. <laughs> Cause I have to go. I got a meeting. I'm busy. I got things to do. Yes. So, um, backing up to Emma, Emma was severely, severely handicapped and talk about the power of a fabulous family. Yeah. Uh, my sister who is two years older than me in age quit her job to take care of Emma in our home. She came to our house every day and got her up, got her going so that I could get my other children out the door and my husband was the pickup on the way in. And we, you know, we, it, everything was about a shift change in our house. But the only reason it worked is because we basically had three parents and my sister gave her life for our life. And it was yeah. wonderful. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I know, you know, for a lot of people listening, like, it's always the balance of, of ambition and desire and family and then the way we're raised and the rules that we have for our life and our values. And, you know, I know you, so I know where your heart is. Um, I just, I appreciate you sharing that because I know, I know I guarantee someone would have been like, Fairy, why didn't you ask? Right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I'll just carry it through that she lived until she was 17 yeah. and she was uh, there. She had 13 surgeries. She was in body cast twice. She could never speak, but she lit up a room like nobody's business. And if any of us think that we have troubles, just go to a specialty healthcare children's waiting room and it will pick you right up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm a part of a, uh, a group. I'm on the board of a company called Miracles for Kids. And, and you know, it's, it's children that, are, that have stage four lung cancer and they're two years old. And there's, it's literally, there's, there's almost little to no hope, right? And yet people are like, well, why would you do it? I'm like, because I think about the mom who's usually a single mom who's got two kids who can't work. So to, to raise money and to help them, right, is, is it, it breaks my heart because you, you almost always don't win, right? But, but what you feel because, you know, to your point, like it's, she was with you for 17 years and a blessing every single day. So, so how... If you think about that experience, so so many people, if had you not brought that up, Mary Lee, some of them would say, Well, of course. I mean, you know, parents sent her to college, she's all bright and bubbly, she's super energetic, she's good looking. Like, well, of course. 
But people, people don't seem to get like, it's the hardship and the battles that make great leaders and great human beings. Absolutely. And I will tell you, my husband and I are gratefully married. Our marriage survived all of that and continues to thrive. We'll be married 25 years next year, which is great. But that was hard. I mean, it's hard. It's toll. It was like there, there were a lot of moments, a lot of tears, a lot of hardship, a lot of hard decisions, um, just one after another. And candidly, when we had Emma and then we decided to have Connor, not quite two years later, my literally what I said to my husband was, well, we're not sleeping anyway. We might as well have another one. (laughs) (laughs) We knew we wanted other children. So let's just do this. You know, why not? Yeah. We'll just go for a couple of years, no sleeping and, you know, we'll figure it out later. I mean, every, every parent knows exactly what you're talking about. I had the same same thing. I'm like, my wife's like, honey, we haven't slept in 18 months. Good news. We're not going to sleep for another, like probably four years. I'm like, are we pregnant? She's like, we're pregnant. I'm like, here we go. That's how we go. Yeah. So, so let's transition back. You, you're living in Minnesota and all of a sudden this opportunity to move to California comes up. Speaking of family dynamics and changes in, you know, I mean, your husband's working, you got kids in school, you got Emma and all of a sudden, like, why did you take that on? First of all? Yeah. Craziness, right? Well, first and foremost, when I was asked if I would even consider it, the first thing I did was I asked like two questions and then I just got up and left the table and everyone looked at me like, where are you going? And I said, I'm sorry, I have to leave before I say something dumb because I need to think about this and I need to talk to my husband. And I left. I said, I can't talk to you about this right now. I I wasn't ready to have an in-depth conversation. So one thing I've learned about myself over the years is that I know when I have to back off of a conversation, back off of a situation, get out of my own head and out of my own way and go find reason. And and I absolutely did that. And it was critical that I did. And I called my husband and said, we're going to need to have a bottle of wine tonight on this one. And again, keep in mind, he's an engineer. Yeah. So high, said, high eye on the disc profile. Not. Yeah. And all he said was, okay, he never worries. He didn't ask me what it's about. He yeah. just said, okay, I'll be home at whatever time and let's go. So we got the kids to bed, had a glass of wine. And I said, here's what's going on. It's an opportunity to originally become the general manager and the senior VP and general manager of the company I'm at now. And, and here's what it could potentially mean for my career, but I'm not really sure. And I don't really know. All I know is that I know this company on paper because part of my experience having been part of home services was that I got to be part of due diligence for acquisitions that they made. And I loved that. And in that process, I knew this company on paper. Yes. But, just, but I didn't know the people. So it was forcing me to look at things backwards, if you recall, from how I generally looked at things. For sure. First, business later. I knew business first. I had no idea about the people. But at that point in my career, I also knew that, here's what I said to my husband. Here's the deal. You are a senior engineer. You are in a great place and you're brilliant and you're good at what you do. And I am the president of relocation and I am hope I will continue to grow it organically and, and make it all work. And we're in a good place and we don't have to move. And he asked me a few clarifying questions. And then he literally looked at me and he said, 
can you look me square in the eye and tell me from your heart that this will be good for you and your career? Then I say, let's go. And that was that. And I said, I think it can be. And then I jumped in his arms and said, you are the most amazing man. And he was done with it. Cause again, engineer, yeah. literally about a week later, I was like, we gotta sit down and talk about this. And he goes, why we're done. I mean, he was like, he's like, I built an Excel spreadsheet and just said, we're going to move on this day. And this is like, it's done. That's it. It was funny. So anyway, and then, and then we decided to do it. And again, that took, Hey, it's Tom Ferry. Question, what's your favorite social media platform? Are you big on Insta? Do you love to tweet? No matter where you answer, I'd love for you to connect with me there. All you gotta do is just type in at Tom Ferry and follow and let's you and I connect. I wanna be able to deliver the right content, the right ideas, the ways to help you grow your business, stay fired up, keep moving, be in action and run plays that work in the platform that matters most to you. So subscribe and I'll see you there soon. Okay, so now you and I both know, because I've got history with your company that dates, I mean, I, the, the original founder of the company was my first, call it enterprise client, like though a week into starting my company 17 years ago. And I watched him sell the company and then retire and then NIDA. And then literally for the people that are listening or watching, I want to say five or six CEOs over the course of a pretty short period of time so, so when I heard that you took the role, right, I was like, stability, Midwest, Minnesota, Southern California, La Jolla, Del Mar, Santa Barbara, LA, you know, Manhattan Beach. I'm like, this is going to be interesting. So, and interesting it was. So, so. I mean, and again, you and I both know that the market is uber competitive. We've had new competitors come in the marketplace as we always do and we always will, right? But through it all, you have persevered. But I want to go back to that first year. You had the unfair advantage because you were kind of GM and, you know, you were, you were in the business, but you didn't have the big seat. So maybe take us about, go back to the, the GM role and then the big seat role and, and, and go forward. Yeah, I learned i learned so much i call it drinking from a fire hose it was an incredible amount of information to take in and personalities to understand and and learn every facet of the company from the inside out not the outside in it's completely different it's like looking under the covers and you realize whoa i don't know if i want to look under there sometimes right so it was so intense and so exhausting mentally I wasn't sure what I've done, honestly. Now I will tell you there's another aspect of that that I don't talk about very often, but I will openly talk about it now because I think it's past. <laughs> and that is, um, I was definitely originally perceived as the plant from the parent company. Yeah, oh, I remember. I remember. Who is this woman? Yeah. She doesn't know us. We don't know her. She definitely mm-hmm. doesn't know our market. Nobody, she doesn't understand how we do business why we do business the way we do business yeah. and on top of it i'm going to scrutinize what she wears how her hair is what she smells like what she says and i'm pretty sure i'm going to get find something in all that to shoot her down i mean that is definitely it was every day tom i did my deep breath and my own little mantra that i say to myself is just 
I do my deep breath. I get my head in the right place after I've dealt with whatever children I have to drop off or whatever. Yeah. Because it's always mom first, wife first, mom first, then, then work. Mm-hmm. And my, what I always say is, let's go. And when I get out of my car, I'm on go. Yeah. So I think every listener, I really hope you pay attention and got that because, you know, this is the executive dilemma that most people don't talk about right? You're sent in from corporate to come and turn this thing around. And immediately everybody's like, okay, who's the new bitch? What, how's this going to work? Right? Like, you know, who's the new guy? I'm looking at two, two of my teammates who have a new VP who just stepped in, right? Like, okay, who's this person? And you know, we had turnover in that role. Is this just the next one? You went through all that, but there was thousands of agents and hundreds of people in management and everybody's looking at you smiling with a gun under the table. Yes, they were. How did you overcome that? Uh, Mentally, really tough. Uh, I would say about seven months in, this truly happened. I came home from work one day. I I, I don't know what god awful look I had on my face, but my husband, I'll never forget, he was in the sink doing something. He turned and looked at me and he dropped the, the dishes into the sink And he just opened his arms and I sobbed. I just sobbed. And he said, do you want to talk about it? And I said, I don't know what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what the it would be to talk about. Right. So I guess I say that because mentally I knew all of that was going on and I am a compartmentalizer and I have that forced me to refine that so well because I knew that I was making good decisions where I could and that I was listening intently and learning as best I could. Mm-hmm. And if I can say that honestly to myself, I'm doing the very, very best I can. And I am incorporating everyone else who, who all wanted, when I, when I short-term discovered everyone wanted this company to succeed as much as yes. I did, yep. it was easy. It became easy. I thought, this isn't just me trying to do this. This is us. But I had to learn that first. And that was a mental exhaustion to overcome those. You know, they never said it, of course, but I knew it. I knew it. And so I just had to be okay with me. I'm okay. I'm okay. Who's going to be with me on my deathbed? Hopefully my family. None of these other people. It's okay. Right. But you go back to, you know, being the assistant manager. It was the same thing. Taking over your first office. It was the same thing. Going into relocation. It was the same thing. People, people, people. What people need to understand is that when you're taking over an organization that has 3,000 people in four different counties and you got to get to know every one of them and they got to get to know you, that's exhausting. But the same rule still applies. But you were also responsible for day-to-day operations of the business. And the company, like all companies, is always under attack and looking to grow in other areas. And, you know, I'm sure an agent walked in day one and said, hi, hi, I'm, you know, Frank from L.A. and we haven't met yet, but I'd like an increase in my uh, commission split or I'm leaving. Hi, what was your name again? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That, that is exactly it. And I just I just rolled with it and said, I don't blame you for wanting that. I want a whole bunch of more money, too. I'm with you. I mean, that's when my my personality comes out because I'm like, I don't blame you for asking. If you don't ask, you certainly don't get, but you always, so so my, my philosophy on saying no in, in certain scenarios is that it's a, it's a, a eloquent gift that eventually over time, I think we all need to continue to refine to have someone hear no and thank you. Yeah. 
hear no and thank you. That's big. That's hard. That's hard because no for a lot of people is like, oh, it's just, it, it's rejecting and it's, you don't love me and you don't care enough for me or I don't feel valued. How do you do that? What's your secret sauce? I think what I do is I just simply listen and say, and, and ask them what, what other things are important. That might be what they're initially asking, but there's 10 other reasons behind the why. Right. And so right. if you understand the why and you can tackle two of those issues that they might be having in their business or two issues in their personal life or whatever, and you sincerely care because that's probably my a strength, but it's also a weakness that I sincerely, truly care. Yeah. And sometimes I don't sleep at night when I know one of our agents is grappling with something or struggling and it's hard. I need more sleep, right? But we have a lot of agents, so <laughs> there's a lot of troubles out there. But if you sincerely care and help them with one or two or 10 aspects that are behind the ask, you still come out okay. Yeah. How do you know when you're winning? So much of leadership is about everybody else winning. How do you know when you're winning? When they win. It's not about me. If, if everyone is, so when I reflect, by the way, mm -hmm. six years, two days from now, I will be here six years. Happy. Wait, hold on. Six years. Are you leaving? No, I, <laughs> no, but I get asked that still to this day. Often. Oh, for sure. I still, I still bought a house. We still yes. moved everything. I'm still yes. not going anywhere. You know, I'm kind yeah. of stubborn. You're going to have to deal with me, right? Yes, I love it. And, and so I over, overcome all of that through just consistent perseverance and, 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 and almost, I don't know, just rewinding and re-listening and really truly caring and, and, and conveying that care and and doing the best I can and saying, I don't have all the answers. Admitting you don't know. That's another, you know, I don't know. You're actually dovetailing in and you, you dropped so many nuggets and bombs along the way. But I, but one of the notes I wrote down is just kind of reflecting back on, you know, your 27 years. If you had to just sort of whittle down two or three or four sort of leadership lessons, because you've, you've been dropping them all along. But, you know, for you, like if you think about what are the what are the two, three things that like if someone just says, how do I become a better leader? Like, what are those two or three things for you? Yeah, um, I would say, number one, don't don't discount your worth. Know your own worth mm -hmm. and that you can add value, but never force it on the person that you're expecting a promotion from. You can't force yeah. that. Yeah. You can demonstrate you can explain, you can, if there's a little crack of a door, you got to know when to run through, but you can't force it. I would yeah. say that's probably number one. J just know your worth. Know you probably can do a lot more, but just drop hints that are appropriate hints when you can so that they believe it's their idea. Yeah. Oh, that is, see that right there, that's the secret sauce. So, so that we're, you're talking about being in a leadership role and still having someone you're reporting to right? Cause you want to continue to move up. And that could be an, that could be in an organization that could be an agent on a team that wants to ascend. It's the same exact thing. Making it their idea is the secret sauce. It is. It is. That's probably the, the, one of the biggest nuggets. The other thing is that geez, don't, don't as a leader. Um, and I would tell, I would say you can ask anybody in our corporate office from accounting to whatever division it I think every one of them would say that I am willing to roll up my sleeves and do the dishes in the kitchen if, it, if they need to be done, just like anybody else. I don't expect 
anyone to do anything I'm not willing to do myself. Yeah. And then just realizing that as the leader, the biggest component for me, and I do think it's actually healthy, is that it's just not about me. It, it, it's not about me. It, yeah. it never is. I don't want it to be, actually. It would make me very uncomfortable right. because my success is the total combination and the collective effort of a group moving in the right direction and in the same direction. It's awesome. Yes. And that leads me back to my, my time here, two years. So I've kind of gone two years, two years, two years. Two years of learning, two years of beginning to make a few changes that I think needed to be made, and two years of here we go. Yeah. And now, now we just, the sky's the limit, and I'm just so excited for it. It's awesome. We're in a good place. I- one of the things I want to talk to you about is like team leaders and, and even, you know, smaller, smaller brokers that might be listening to this, that like the, the great line that we have a tendency to overestimate what we can accomplish in a year and dramatically underestimate what could be accomplished in 10 years. Right. And you just said, Hey, two years of just learning the people, two years of making just a little, like some little adjustments. And then two years of like, now I've got everybody's trust. Let's start hitting the gas pedal. And you know, now, now you're exactly right. It's the next four years where you really get the accelerated growth. Why do you think everyone is so addicted to thin thighs in 30 days or less? I want to, I want to go from seven to 700 transactions on a Tuesday. Our world is moves fast because our technology and the input of information is so fast that we think we can also give that same speed. We can't. We're human beings. Technology is not us. We're not it. We have to use it to our advantage, but we're completely different animals. And we have to respect those different roles and understand how to use those things that help propel the speed really effectively so that we can actually move the dial but you can't neglect, you know, you, you don't have one big giant dial. No. <laughs> you have all these little dials and every exactly. one of them is as important as the other. You have to give them their just, just due diligence. So, so it's interesting. One of the things I want to talk to you about, I actually wrote down um, management methodology, you know, EOS, OKRs, 4DX. There's, there's all these different ways to, to essentially have a management approach to your business. And I know, you know, Gino, who has been a dear friend for, I, you know, I cold called Gino when I was 19 years old, trying to sell him a ticket to a Mike Ferry event. Like that's how far back we go. Of course I sold him. Come on. How do you think I got him as a client? Right. I think I got him and like five more agents and yes, the rest is history. He's a, he's a huge 40X fan. Um, I know, you know, he's adopted that throughout the organization. Um, the reason I bring that up is I'd love for you to say, so now here you are as a CEO, we're going into 2021. How do you begin to think about goals and budget and, you know, mission and vision? And then how do you operationalize that throughout all the different divisions and companies and locations and people? So like, how, how do you do it? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's hard. It's, it's an animal to deal with, but here's how I do it. And, and, and that 40x concept that Gino has permeated throughout the entire organization falls right in line with my personal beliefs. So for me, it was very easy to adopt that because it's really about accountability. So backing up, you know, when we when I talked about the two years, two years, two years, and we're in this wonderful phase of the of my you know two years of my six year tenure here, that we're in a place now where we can go. If we weren't and COVID hit, 
oh, that would have been ugly. Okay. So, So I'm grateful to have finally been in a place and be in a culture that was able to pivot fast, react quickly, appropriately, beneficially for our agents and move forward. So how I look at doing the business plan for the next 18 months to two years, I consider that we have now, we, we have this, it was our ability to be that set to yeah. deal with COVID. Yeah. Now our ability and what we've learned from COVID, some of this efficiencies, Zoom, like we're doing, you know, all this stuff yeah. is great. So what can we carry forward? In anticipation that the market is not gonna remain this fast forever. So my goal is to be ready for when it's not. Yes. And, and so it's trying to anticipate the changes that will yet to come by by articulating that to our managers. We need to communicate that. First of all, we have a vision. We, we are not just reactionary to today. We have got to plan for tomorrow. What does tomorrow look like? We ultimately don't know. But my suspect is that, you know, while interest rates might remain low and everything for 21, what about 22? We got to be ready for 22. Yep. Yep. And understanding what my obligation is to the organization and to the agents so that I openly and honestly communicate that this is a great ride that we're having, but it's going to change. It always does. Real estate is very cyclical and very, you know, it changes on a dime. What are we doing to prepare for that? Are you packing away extra money as an agent that you want to prepare for? Are you not? Are you doing the things that you need to do to continue to drip campaign your sphere in whatever way, using video because everybody's so hungry for personal touch is huge. All of those different things with our managers, just explaining that here we are right now, here's the expectations of each of you. And I drill things down to the ridiculous. So if we say, we're going to hire 500 new agents, okay? Well, how many are we going to net? And then how many does each office have to get? And so I'm a, I'm a big picture communicator. Yep. Detail driver. Yes. It's beautiful. And for the people that don't know 40X, and I probably should have said that it's a wonderful book. And the concept is four disciplines of execution, have a wildly important goal, break it down to the KPIs, the how much of what and by when the actual work. You need a scoreboard, everything. We'd call it a dashboard, right? So looking at those levers, like we were talking about earlier, it's the same thing. I, I, we just did this in my business with OKRs, very similar, but what are all the levers we need to pull? And then the last one is the cadence of accountability, which means it's how much of what and by when and how did you do, right? And, and you know, the, it's a tiny little box. There's no room for a story. Just tell me yes or no, did you do it, right? Precisely right. Yeah, no rhetoric, no backstory, yep. no rhetoric. Just get, yes. get to the facts. Yeah. So, you, you know what you do to get that done. I don't need to know. You do. Right. Right. Just get it done. Just get it done. So so tell us about a typical week. You're CEO of this huge company. What's a tip? Like, like, do you go into the week saying, here's my 10 intentions. I've got, you probably have 15 preset meetings, right? Things that you're always a part of. But then, you know, the, I refer to as the shit burrito just gets thrown at you 16 times a day. So like, What's a typical week look like? So I have refined this and refined this and refined this. And one other business tip I have is don't assume that what you're doing today is going to be sticking forever. That's just dumb. In my opinion, it changes and it should. So I have uh, every two weeks, I meet with every department head. And the reason I do is it's just a quick, quick call with each one of them. We talk about specifics. 
if we have to, but it's more about, am I aware of what they're working on? Are they aware? Do, what input do they need from me, if any? And how is it overall going to help our agents? I mean, that's my, that's ba the basic premise that's of the overarching. Business. Yeah. Yep. So I only, and I dedicate that on a Monday. And the reason I do is because if there's anything that needs to change course, we have that week to get it done. And I've learned that that is just helpful for me just to have an awareness. If yes. I don't have an awareness, how am I supposed to know what's going on in the very organization that I'm supposed to be in charge of? So mm -hmm. I'm a hands-on, but I'm not a micromanager. I, mm -hmm. I'm like, you go get it done. You know what to do. Just tell me if you need my help. That's just, so that's number one is just my day and my weeks consist of those set things that I know I will participate in, uh, achieve, et cetera. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, that, you know, the shit burrito. But, but if I can ask, how many are there? So people get context. Is that like three meetings or is it like 30 meetings? Oh, no, that is, I would say there's probably 10 every two weeks. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Those are set mm -hmm. every, every two weeks. In addition to that, the people that I talk to the most on a daily basis are our CFO because mm -hmm. everything runs through accounting. Whenever I have a question about what's, what's gone on with this, I always start and end in accounting because the dollars always know the truth. Yep. And so I always start and end in accounting. So our, our CFO and I are locked step on every initiative dollar spent etc and i and i'm very aware of all of that but i don't have to manage it because that's his job yeah his job so that's a very common every throughout the day i would say five six seven times he and i are da, 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 talking about this that and the other thing mm -hmm. um then it's the other stuff that i have to deal with right is there anything that i owe to gino at home services is there anything that i need to you know do from a functional like needs to come from mary lee's standpoint and i try to kick those off i have an incredible assistant who the more and more that she and i have gotten our groove the more and more that she is just my alter ego <laughs> yeah. yes. that that is a key because she'll bring something or just make me aware, send me a text. You might want to look at, you know, Tom Ferry's email. It looks, looks important. I can, she makes me look good. She makes me able to be everywhere, if that makes sense. Um, so my, my days are often caught with the situations at hand that need to get settled along with the ongoing longer term, you know, implementations of whatever process or things that we're going to implement along with how are all of our departments doing and how are all of your staff doing? And then separate and aside from that, I have a Wednesday morning, 8.15 Zoom with all of our managers every week to, to keep them apprised of all of this. Right. So, so that they know what's going on and can communicate it in real time. That's probably one of the hardest things in a large organization. Yes. Effective, timely communication. And so I think we've refined that. So that, I mean, you know, and, that, and then I go home and, our house is all covered with plastic right now because it's being painted. So, you know, we slept in the guest bedroom. Right. Just another day in the life of a CEO. So what, what it, so, you know, kind of getting near wrapping up, I got a, a, just a bunch of questions, which is like, so what advice do you give to the young guy, the young gal? And, and age is not a young thing. Just, you know, maybe younger in the business, ambition, you know, hey, I want to start my own company. I'd like to be the CEO of my business. I see my broker owner who is, you know, needs some help. What advice do you give them to get started on this journey of leadership? Yeah, start with one task. I would say start with one task, demonstrate your worth, do it really well, and then share your aspirations. If, if, if they 
if you are passed over because you didn't communicate your desire, shame on you. If you were passed over because you communicated your desire and you pushed too hard, shame on you. <laughs> but but you have you, it's a delicate balance. Yes. You have to be patient, deploy patience. It's hard. It's really hard for me. Very hard. Yeah. So, yeah. so I say that's a big big piece of it. Yeah, I I agree. I always basically have always told everybody, if, you know, if you if you want that role, start doing the work. Yes. And they say, well, what do I get paid for that? No, 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 no. Start doing, start, start showing me that you can do that work. And if that, if that starts to gel and you start to move the dial, then let's have that discussion. But I'm not a fan of here's the job and here's the comp and you have never done anything and you have no idea what that work. Like that scares me maybe in just a smaller company. Nope. It scares me too. And I've had all of the above, you know, yeah. brought to me some yeah. big great ideas with big paychecks along with it. And it's, it, even if it was the best idea on earth, it's a bad approach. Yeah. That's what makes yeah. it hard. Yeah, I agree. I'm a big fan of, it's like, um, it's like mentorship, like coming in. Like I always think of like a friend of mine who I interviewed recently is one of the most famous clothiers, right? Dresses everybody. Calvin Klein. He said, Calvin Klein reached out to me and wants me to make his wardrobe. I'm like, Calvin Klein is in Calvin Klein. He's like, yes. And I was like, that's impressive. I'm like, how did you get started? He goes, I wanted to, you know, I didn't want to be part of the family business. Instead, my dad said, if you like clothes, I'm going to get you a job at my tailor. You're going to work there for, you know, two, five, eight, ten 10 years. He said four years into it, he said, I was working for nothing, but I was learning the fabric, the design, the, you know, how to do it right. So then when he left and started his business like you, he had done all the work. He understood it. And I think a lot of people are just, they don't get that. I know that's a tough one. And then here's what I will say to the women that are listening. Thank you. Cause you're already hitting my next question. This is good. Okay. Yes. So, yes. Here's the deal. Women it's, it's a little harder. And the reason I say that is because one of our best strengths is that nurturing demeanor that we have. And we know more instinctively with all due respect to all of the men, because that's the way that makes the yeah. world go around. Yep. But I will tell you that that nurturing and caring demeanor can oftentimes be misunderstood by the corporate world or whatever world you're in mm -hmm. um, as emotional. And when you become labeled as emotional as a woman, you are um, less credible, like it or not. And I have had many situations where that has been the case. And there's a, you know, it, it, and, and it's passion for me. And I am not. I don't think I'm an over emotional person that reacts un unreasonably to things. So emotion can be passion for women, but recognize it can be perceived as emotion. Yeah. And so deal with that and say, and use words in your communication about this is something I am extremely passionate about for these five reasons, because I think it can make it make a difference because of X. Yep. If you have logic behind your passion, it becomes more passion de defined, not emotion. I'm so, cause I, I literally was just going to ask you, like speak to the, you know, that it, it's fascinating to me. And I was so thrilled when Stefan said, Hey, I'm going to create a separate list of the 40 most influential women in real estate, because the knock that he got for years was that list was full of old white males. Right. So, so you look at the list today and it's, it's very different. And, you know, I think he, you know, Stefan is a very culturally with it guy. He understood. Right. So, you know, seeing you on that list, I knew already, but you know, I, I, I think you're going to continue to be higher and higher and higher and set the bar. 
Well, I appreciate your kind words and I just take a day at a time and, and do my best. And the minute that I feel like I'm not able to continue to do my best is when I need to be done. Yeah. Well, with that said, as we wrap up this podcast, which thank you so much. I mean, there's just so many insights here, you know, for men and for women and for CEOs and entrepreneurs and agents and everything under the sun. Um, if you could, if you could say one last thing to the entire industry, but it was the last thing you could say to the industry, what would you say? I would say work hard, work smart, earn it, do not expect it. Whether that's a listing, whether that's a buyer, whether that's a company, whether that's a position, whether that's a, whatever it is, you have got to earn it. No one should just give you anything beautiful it's beautiful i love it i love you so thank you my dear and uh as we as we record this there's 92 days left between now and happy new years so i can't wait to uh hear about your success on my saturday morning call with uh gino blafari so thank you for being so generous thank you for sharing and just thank you for being you and i wish you a kick-ass fourth quarter and an unbelievable 2021 thank you so much mary lee Thank you, my dear. Good to talk with you, Tom. As always, same to you. Bye. All right. See you soon. All right, guys. Give us a like. Give us a share. And listen, uh, this is one that you should probably share. I don't know. Send it to the CEO of your company. That could be interesting. Let's see what happens. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. We'll talk to you soon. We're out. If you want more information about this episode, including my show notes, mentions, links, and everything else, make sure you visit tomferry.com slash podcast. That's tomferry.com slash podcast. Thanks again and talk to you soon.